Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 this morning. And uh, we're actually in the second half of Acts chapter 9. Last week, uh, we talked about uh, uh, the conversion of Saul, the persecutor. He later would be known as Paul, the apostle. And, uh, but this morning, we're going to be moving on beyond that. And uh, I entitled this message, A Recipe for Spiritual Growth. Um, there's some things that took place or that will take place that we'll read in, in Acts chapter 9 that I think uh, are just things that, you know, I think should be present in our lives, things that we should do, and uh, a way for you and I to grow. I don't know how many of you would like to grow spiritually. Um, well, I'm, I'm praying, and as I've been preparing this, I pray that the things that we talk about this morning would just kind of give you food for thought and, and would challenge you. So... Um, Beginning, uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 19, but just to kind of back up and give us a little bit of a kind of a context of, of where we're at, uh, Saul the persecutor was on his way to Damascus, and he was going to find any people that were of the way, were the of, of the way that was what we are today, Christians, we are of the way, but they were called that, they weren't called Christians at that time, they were followers and believers in Jesus Christ. And so Saul was coming to take men and women, it didn't matter, uh, drag them to Jerusalem, and in most cases they would probably be executed for heresy, uh, according to the faith of the Jews. Well, Jesus appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, knocked him to the ground, blinded him, spoke to him, and uh, Saul is converted and he comes to Damascus, he's led blindfolded, not blindfolded, but he's led blind, uh, you know, he's led to uh, Damascus. There, uh, Ananias is called, a, a guy who's a nondescript guy that's just a lover of the Lord, a servant, and uh, he's available. And the Lord chooses him to go and pray for, uh, pray for Saul. And when he does, the scales, the, something like scales came off of Saul's eyes, he could see again. And of course, at that point, uh, he's baptized, and, uh, when, and then he's, uh, he's baptized, and then we pick it up here in verse 19. So in verse 19, it says, So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is thus not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. If you could imagine Saul, a Jewish person, a Pharisee, um, growing up, learning the Jewish faith, probably memorizing Jewish scripture, knowing it backwards and forward, and all of a sudden now, the Old Testament has come alive to, the, to Saul of Tarsus. You know, Jesus said, in John 5.39, and he was actually speaking to the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. 
And so if you could imagine Saul's just going back through those Old Testament scriptures and all of a sudden it's like, Jesus, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in these different scriptures. Paul would later write in Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That's what the Old Testament law was for. It was to point out to the Jewish people and to us by extension that we can't keep the law. We're unable to. We need a Savior. And so the, the law was to bring us to Christ. Paul would later describe the blindness that he had, spiritual blindness, prior to uh, Jesus Christ appearing to him, and, and what the Jews had of his day, and I would say even to this day. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, but even to this day when Moses is read, that's the law, that's a, the Pentateuch, the five first books of the Old Testament, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, you know, not only did when Ananias prayed for Saul and something like scales, I, you know, who knows what it was, but he was physically blinded at the, on the way to Damascus. Now he can see again, but his eyesight, his spiritual eyesight is completely transformed. And now everything that he's learned, it's like Jesus is just coming alive in the Old Testament scriptures. And it says here, Saul started increasing in strength, confounding the Jews, proving that Jesus is the Christ. In verse 23, it says, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. This, of course, would be a reoccurring event in the life of the Apostle Paul. Everywhere Paul went, whatever city he went to, there would either be a spiritual awakening, awakening or a spiritual attack. It was one or the other. There was no middle ground there for the Apostle Paul. Verse 23 is interesting. It says, after many days were passed. How many days is that speaking of? Well, that's actually a term that's also used in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings 18, 1, it says, and, after it, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. The many days in Elijah's case was three years. It quite could possibly be uh, that same terminology here is being employed here by Luke as he's writing the book of Acts because there is a gap of about three years somewhere between verse 19 when Saul is in Damascus uh, to anywhere between verse 19 and verse 26 before he went to Jerusalem. There is a gap there. And the Apostle Paul describes that gap in Galatians chapter 1 verses 13 through 18, and I'll read it to you. Paul writes this, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. It's very telling what Paul writes in Galatians, he's, he's, uh, he's converted. He puts his faith in Christ Jesus. 
And it says he did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't immediately go up to Jerusalem to the apostles, that, you know, the, the 12 disciples and all the other apostles, all those that were, uh, came to faith in Christ. It says he went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. So there's this time gap that Luke doesn't describe in Acts chapter 9. Well, during this time, Paul completed an unofficial degree in Old Testament studies, in Old Testament biblical studies. You think of it before. Before he was schooled by Gamaliel. Gamaliel, he was the son of a man named Simeon, a rabbi, um, and the grandson of a very notable rabbi called Hillel. Hillel was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a liberal uh, a liberal. Uh, he was on the liberal wing of the Pharisees, I should say. And uh, there was another rabbi in Hillel's day by the name of Shammai. And so they had a, a liberal interpretation and a, and a more conservative interpretation. Well, Hillel was on the uh, more liberal side. And uh, he is the grandson, or excuse me, the grandfather of Gamaliel. And we also know that Gamaliel served 32 years as the Sanhedrin's president. That's quite some credentials in, in, the Jew, in Judaism anyways. And Saul of Tarsus was educated by this man. He sat at his feet and learned, learned the law, learned Judaism from Gamaliel. That would be kind of like in our day and age, be the equivalent of getting a law degree from like Yale or Harvard. You know, there, there's some clout there. There's, there's, when you say you graduated from Harvard, it kind of, you know, it, it carries some clout. Well, for Saul to say, hey, I was educated by Gamaliel, be almost the same thing. It carry a lot of clout. If you can imagine the, the just the, the, the in-depth knowledge that Saul would have of, of Old Testament scriptures through Judaism. But now, now it seems insufficient to Saul. Now he wanted to be schooled by Jesus Christ himself. And so in Galatians, he said he went off by himself to Arabia. Now that's not Saudi Arabia. Arabia is a desert that bordered Damascus at that time. So basically he most likely, because we don't know exactly where he went, but he most likely went to some quiet, solitary place outside of Damascus in the desert. And if you think about it, the apostles when they were disciples, before they were sent out, they had been discipled by Jesus Christ for three years, roughly three years. Now the Apostle Paul, he'll call himself the Apostle born out of time, out of due time. Now he would be schooled by Jesus Christ himself for three years. You know, I, I, and if you look at different commentators, you know, some people um, say, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking of one in particular said that, uh, Saul, or yeah, the Apostle Paul, Saul spent three years with Jesus just speaking to him and teaching him and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, wouldn't that be awesome to have Jesus teach you? He's your school instructor. He's your professor, Jesus himself. You imagine the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus when, uh, you know, after his resurrection and, and he comes alongside them and they don't know it's Jesus. And he starts talking from, from Genesis on. He starts giving them a Bible study. Can you imagine what that would have been? It's not like me here. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Well, we're not told if it was a physical, tangible appearance of Jesus Christ during those year, three years. It could have been, but we're not told. We weren't there, and Paul doesn't go into detail about it. But I want to tell you something. You and I can be tutored by Jesus Christ himself 
as well, just like the Apostle Paul was. And that's through God's word. And this is the first and most important ingredient for spiritual growth. And that is to grow through the word of God alone. Grow through the word of God alone. You might think, what are you saying there, Pastor? You mean, I, if I get saved, I just need a Bible. I can just go off into the desert and I'm good to go for the rest of my life as a Christian. <clears throat> Excuse me, as a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you still need to hear the preaching of the word. You still need to be committed to a local body of Christ. If you look in the, in the book of Acts and the epistles, uh, both Titus and Timothy were, men, were young men that, that Paul raised up to pastor churches. And Paul started and supported churches in every city that he traveled to. So I'm not saying you don't need to commit to a local church to minister your spiritual gifts. And you don't, you know, and to be in a church to learn the word of God. Folks, you're here to, to hear the word of God. That's not what I'm saying. You just take off. You don't need to be here. What I am saying is let the Holy Spirit himself teach you through the word. Don't immediately confer with flesh and blood. What do I mean by that? I mean, don't rely on human teachers to be your sole source of spiritual instruction. You know, we have so many resources available to us today. You could listen to teachings online. You could pick your favorite teacher, whoever, wherever he is, wherever he is in the world. And just about 24-7, you can, you can listen to every sermon that that person's taught. And uh, you can get some awesome teachings or listening to podcasts. We have daily devotionals. I was going to say up the yin-yang, but we got daily devotionals just out there, you know. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say it in kind of a weird way. but um, We got them just everywhere, right? Devotionals and blog posts and books. And, you know, you can read all those devotionals, those blog posts. You can consult all the commentaries and Bible studies, and they're all good. The study Bibles, they're all, they're all good. It's, in fact, it's fine to do it. But listen, don't let a devotional or a commentary or some pastor's teaching, even mine included, be your main course of instruction in the Word of God. That's dessert, that's just, that's just that's after you've had the main course. Let the word of God itself be your main course. Everything else is just icing on the cake. And we are blessed in this nation to have as many resources as we have. But unfortunately, there are people that, that that's the, those resources become their main instruction. That, that's, that's conferring with flesh and blood. It honestly is. That's kind of having someone, you know, filtering what the Lord's spoken to them, speaking to you. Man, I would rather go to the source. Cut out the middleman. Go straight to the Holy Spirit himself. I want to read a few psalms out of Psalm 119 to you. Kind of give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Listen to the words of these psalms, these few verses that I'm going to quote to you. Listen to them and, and listen to the heart of the person writing these. Psalm 119.12 Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. This is directly to the Lord. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. One, uh, verse 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. 
This is a person that's going to the Lord himself. Lord, I want you to teach me. Teach me your word. Teach me your statutes. You know, Luke, later on in Acts chapter 17, he's going to describe these believers in the city of Berea. They were known as the Bereans. And he says this about them. These were uh, more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They heard the teachings. They heard the pastors. They heard, they heard people sharing how the Lord had spoken. But then they took it back and they said, no, I want to see for myself. I want to dig in to the word of God. And that's what they were doing. And, and that's what, if you want to grow, that's the first and most important thing to grow is get into the word of God yourself. I have a challenge for you. Man, 2023 is coming up fast. Can you believe that? I mean, you know, it seems like the older you get, the faster time goes. It's like we're on a downhill, you know, you're sledding and you start out kind of slow, you know, and, then, and as you get further down, you know, pretty soon it's like, man, whoa, where did 2022 go? It's, it's way back there. I'm feeling that way. So I've been, as a habit, been reading through the Bible daily as much as I can, pretty much every day. Um, and uh, I don't know when I started it, but I had started Genesis again whenever. I, didn't, I don't even know exactly when. And I've been reading, and uh, I started thinking, man, 2023 or 2022 is coming to an end. And so what I decided to do is I, I took how many pages of my Bible that I had left to get to Revelate, the end of Revelation. And I thought, okay, now how many days do I have between now and December 31st? Got out my little calculator, and I calculated that if I read uh, five and a half pages every morning, I would get to the end of December 31st. I'd be at the end of Revelation chapter, you know, the end of the book of Revelation. And so I've decided to do that. My wife's doing that too in her own, in her own Bible reading as well. Well, here's the challenge for you. We each have different Bibles. Um, Take a look at your Bible. You don't have to do it right now, especially if you have a, if you're looking at it. It's maybe that's that's going to be a little bit tougher if you're a person that likes to read from a, a a mobile device or something. But I took a look at my Bible, and between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 1,618, so 1,600, a little over 1,600 pages in the Bible that I read. Now, if I divide that by 365, I have about four and a half pages. Of, of Bible, if I, if I read about four and a half pages every day starting January 1st in Genesis, and by the December 31st, I'm going to be finished with Revelation, if I faithfully do that. This is a challenge for you. I'd like to challenge you to do that. Now, I know there's other different Bible reading programs where you can, you know, read the Bible in a, uh, in a year, and, and they have you read a little bit of Psalms, and there's nothing wrong with that. But for those of you, I want to challenge you to do the same thing, same thing. Start in Genesis and go from cover to cover. Can you imagine if we all did this together? What our daily, you know, we get together on on Sunday mornings or maybe Wednesday nights or whenever we get together. Hey, how's it going, man? What's the Lord doing in your life? Well, I was reading this. No kidding. The Lord showed me this too. Could you imagine our conversations we'd have together with one another, growing in the same place of Scripture at the same time? That would be awesome. We could earn a biblical, a degree in biblical studies from the author himself together in 2023. I just want to encourage you. If you develop the habit of systematic Bible reading, I have a promise for you. You're going to fall in love with the Word of God. You're going to fall in love with the Word, and you're going to fall in love with the author 
himself too. It, it, it just happens. Well, that's one challenge. I actually have another challenge for you a little bit later on in the message. Verse 23. After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Now, Paul will actually elaborate on this a little bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he'll say this. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Now, in a lot of cities in those days, they would have walls to protect the cities, and a lot of homes would be built into the walls. And so uh, Saul was probably in one of the, the disciples uh, of, that had become believers in one of their homes, and they let him out of, the, out of their window, basically, on the wall to escape from uh, King Aretas, or excuse me, from the, uh, the leaders of Damascus. Well, based on the reign of Aretas, because we can go back in history and figure out who, who he was and when he reigned, Paul's escape from Damascus happened approximately between the years 37 and 39. Now, if you subtract three years when he was in Arabia, that means that he was probably converted sometime between AD 34 and AD 36. That's just a tidbit. It doesn't, doesn't apply. There's no spiritual message here, but it's just it's interesting anyways. But here's the next ingredient for spiritual growth, and that is to grow through humility. Think about Saul, how he came, you know, he left Jerusalem, he had a letter from the chief priests, and he's going to Damascus. How did he go there? I can guarantee he went with boldness and a lot of hatred, right? He's, he's a zealous guy for Judaism. He's going to stamp out this, this cult known as the way, and he went boldly to uh, Damascus, but that's not how he entered Damascus, right? He entered Damascus blinded and totally humbled, totally humbled. And then how he left Damascus in hiding, fearing for his own life. What, what, a, what a transition between when he went to Damascus to when he left. You know, in Acts chapter 3, because, you know, sometimes, like, I've been calling him Saul, and the Bible, you know, it's Saul and Paul, it's the same person. And uh, when did Saul's name get changed to Paul? That's another thing we're not really told in scriptures. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, Luke says, Then Saul, who is also called Paul, and from then on out we're just reading about the apostle Paul. Saul in the Greek is salos, and it means desired. Paul in the Greek is paulos, and it means small or little. And, you know, I think anybody that would have met Saul would have called him Saul. That's his name. I think it would be Saul who would correct him and say, you know, don't call me Saul anymore. I'm Paul. I'm little. I'm nothing. Paul was humble. You want to grow? Grow through humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody's humbled you? That's not what I'm talking about. I've, I've, I've seen the proudest person humbled. That, that's not what this is talking about. That's somebody externally trying to humble you. And sometimes if you're a proud person, 
someone tries to humble you, what happens? You get offended. You get angry. You bite back. Oh, yeah, well, so-and-so. You know, your mother wears army boots or something like that, you know? <laughs> if you humble yourself, that's totally different. Paul would later write this in Colossians 3, verse 12. He'd say, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. I'm reading out of the New King James. The King James calls it humbleness of mind. Humbleness of mind. In other words, what that means is how you view yourself and how you view others. That's what the humility we're talking about. Paul wrote this in Philippians 2, verse 3, let nothing be done through ambition or self or conceit, excuse me, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. You want to grow? Grow in humility. The next ingredient for spiritual growth is to grow through fellowship. Look at verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was, go so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. There it says that when he got to Jerusalem, he tried to join the other disciples. That word tried, it's an interesting word. It's the word pirao, and it's the, if, if anybody know what pirao means? <laughs> it's like, it's, here's, I'll give you the definition. It's an imperfect active of cognitive action. There, that settles it, right? If you studied Greek, you probably know what I'm talking about. I had to look it up. I had to Google it. Google everything, right? Basically, what that word means, and in that context where Paul tried to join the disciples, means that he strived repeatedly and without success. That's what that word literally means. He kept trying to join the disciples, and they kept rebuffing him. Let me ask you this. Think about this. After the first or maybe the second time, what would you have done? Pfft, these guys are hypocrites. <laughs> I'm not going here. Nobody talks to me. I would have given up, would you? I'm just, I'm just frank. Paul didn't give up. He kept trying, and he kept on being rebuffed. Why? Well, they were afraid of him, and they didn't believe that he was a disciple. Now, this is not a high point for the apostles. This isn't a high point. Because if you recall back earlier in the Gospels, there was a time when they were afraid and didn't believe too. And, and uh, that was before Christ rose from the dead. It wasn't a good thing. They were fearful and doubtful, so they refused to let him join their fellowship. But then enters into our story Barnabas. And we met him before in, in uh, Acts chapter 4. He was a Levite who sold a tract of land. His name, Barnabas, is also translated son of encouragement. And you know what's interesting thing about that is that name, it just it was it described him perfectly because throughout scriptures. Every time you read about Barnabas, man, he was an encourager. Barnabas, he might have been afraid of Saul. He might have been apprehensive about this guy. But whatever fear or doubt he might have had, it overcame. He overcame that, and he reached out to Saul. 
how, how could he have done that? Was it just he just had a, you know, just a easygoing character, easygoing personality or something like that? I think it was the love of Christ in him. Think about it. In 1 Corinthians 13, some of the descriptions of love, it thinks no evil, it believes all things, and it hopes all things. This is what Barnabas was like. Barnabas took a chance on Saul. That, that would take a step of faith. And it says that he took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and they had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And like I said, as, you, as we go through Acts and you read in the epistles, man, Barnabas' characteristic of being an encourager, it just it comes through every story about him. I've known people who have the gift of encouragement. In fact, I was, as I was preparing this message, a person that I know, a dear friend of mine, and his, I'm thinking of this one person, and I'm like, man, so I texted him. I said, man, I'm going through this. I'm studying about Barnabas and Encourager and just reminding me of you. And so I just, I said, man, Lord bless you. Because this person, he was a part of our fellowship for a while and he was such an encouragement. I, it just, it blessed me. And everywhere he goes, that, that, that's, everywhere he goes, he's an encourager. I have a challenge, another challenge for you and I this coming year. You know, a lot of us come to church service with the anticipation of being fed, right? Hopefully you're coming here like, I'm, I'm hoping to hear from the Lord. And so you come here with that anticipation. Or some people come just, you know, they'll leave if they feel like their needs haven't been met. You know, nobody's reaching out to me. I feel like, you know, whatever, and they'll leave. This is the challenge for you. How about instead of coming to church with that expectation, how about coming to the church with an anticipation of, you know, I want to encourage someone this morning. I want, to, I want to find somebody, and I want to reach out to them, and I want to extend a hand of fellowship. Maybe it's someone I've never talked to or I don't talk to. I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to get to know that person that I, that I don't really know. I challenge you to do that because, man, I tell you, encouragement just carries people so much. Well, picking back up our story in verse 29... And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. The Hellenists, again, we were introduced to them before in the book of Acts, and these were Jews who spoke Greek. They were part of what was known as a diaspora. Uh, early in, I don't know, it was like 4 BC or something like that, a lot of Jews had been taken out of, out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, that area, Judea, and they had been taken and made slaves in different parts of the Roman Empire. And then later on, they were freed. In fact, we met the synagogue of the freemen in Acts chapter 6. Those were Hellenists. And so they were Jews who spoke Greek, but they were also kind of inclined to adopt the Greek culture because they had grown up in it, wherever country they were from. Paul, in fact, was born, Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was part of Cilician, and Cilicia was uh, the synagogue of the freemen. Some of them were from Cilicia. It could possibly be that, that Paul had attended that synagogue that, that we read about in Acts chapter 6. That was the, those Hellenists were the ones that were instrumental in, in uh, executing, um, getting Stephen uh, executed. Saul probably attended that synagogue, and uh, think about it. Now they're attempting to kill him because they hate what he's standing for. In Acts chapter 22, Paul describes something 
that probably took place around the time of this verse that we were just looking at. In Acts 22, verse 17, it says, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. That probably took place around this time when the Hellenists were trying to kill Paul. Verse 30, it says, When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. We're not going to hear about the Apostle Paul for quite a few chapters now in the book of Acts. But here's the next ingredient for spiritual growth, and that's to grow through patience. It's not until Acts chapter 11, which chronologically is about seven years later, that we're even going to hear anything about Paul. And not only, it's a year after that, so a total of eight years later, is when Paul and Barnabas are going to finally be sent on their first missionary trip to the Gentiles. So the Lord told him what he was going to do. Eight years later, it comes to pass. Paul was growing through patience. You wonder what Paul did in the, main, in the meantime, right? What were those eight years like? At least seven of the years we don't know anything about. There's no record but there's a hint, possibly, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is, is kind of giving a, a, an outline of all these things that he's endured as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And among all the things that Paul endured, he says this, Three times I was beaten with rods. Now we know of only one time, one incident, and that's in Acts chapter 16 when Paul was in Philippi. He was beaten with rods there. That's the only time. The other two we, we don't have any idea about. He says this, From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. There is no record of that in Acts or the epistles. Nothing. No, it's radio silence. He says three times I was, ship, uh, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. We only know of one shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, when they ran aground at the Isle of Malta. So what about these other times that Paul is talking about? It's quite possible, we don't know, so I'm, I'm just speculating, it's quite possible those events could have occurred during those eight years while Paul was waiting to be sent out to the Gentiles. In other words, I believe Paul ministered wherever he was planted. The Lord was, I'm sure, using those eight years to prepare Paul, to mature Paul in his faith, to prepare him for going to the Gentiles. Some of you maybe have sensed a burden for ministry or a calling on your life that's unfulfilled at this point. It's like, I know the Lord's calling me to this. I, I, maybe someone's spoken a prophecy over you or something, and, and you, this is this thing that you're going to be doing, and you haven't done it, and you want to do it. Your heart's there. You know, for each one of us, it says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. There's something that he wants to use our life for. And I want to encourage you in this as well. Romans 11:29 for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So the Lord told Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Eight years later is when it happens. Paul had to be patient. Paul had to trust the Lord's timing. And, and I want to encourage you, if, if the Lord's laid a vision on for you of, of something that you're going to be doing or there's a call on your life, just trust the Lord's timing. And just a word of conscious, con, uh, caution, excuse me. <laughs> don't try to make his will happen on your own strength. It usually doesn't work out too good. Um, just wait patiently. But here's the key. And I believe, again, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I believe that Paul ministered. I believe some of those things that we read are things that occurred during that time. Paul just didn't sit there in Tarsus and go, okay, God hasn't called me yet. I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting, Lord, for seven years. I think he was busy. I think he ministered where he was at. And I want to encourage you this morning, minister where you are. Grow in the place that he has you right now. Whatever it is, just grow in that. The next ingredient for spiritual growth kind of ties right into it, and that is to grow through the seasons. You know, I, I can look back on my own life, and, and the times when I grew the most were the times when I was going through a difficult trial. Because those are the times that brought me to my knees, man. That, you know, sometimes we, we, nobody likes going through trials. Nobody likes persecution. Not that I've been persecuted, but, you know, nobody likes going through difficult things. But, man, I, I thank the Lord for those. And I'm not a glutton for punishment. But what I know in my own life is it brings me closer to the Lord. Man, I'll get on my knees. I'm, I'm praying more. I'm reading. I'm really in tune. Lord, I need to hear from you through this trial. That's when I grow the best is through trials so praise God for the trials but then sometimes in God's grace those trials end and then it's like man thank you Lord that that's over but that's not a time to just kick back and go well you know I can take it easy now man I mean I hunkered down I made it through that it's not a time to let up and take a break listen the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9 had gone through an intense persecution with Saul of Tarsus. He was the main persecutor. A, a season of intense trial and intense persecution. And you know what happened? God used that season. He scattered the disciples. They were just, they were just all hunkered down there in Jerusalem. The, the persecution caused them to run, to flee. And wherever they went, they started sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in new places to new people that they met. And the church just exploded. People came to faith in the Lord. In verse 31 here of Acts chapter 9, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So even after this, even after that trial, when they're scattered and they're sharing the gospel, the church is still growing. Even during a time of no, or relatively, relative calm, you know, not as intense a persecution as what happened before, they were still ministering. And we're going to see that in uh, what we read about now about Peter. Verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. 
So if you think about it, <clears throat> at Pentecost, there were a lot of believers from all over, there were a lot of Jews from all over gathered in Jerusalem. Thousands of them got saved. Many of them probably stayed in Jerusalem, but some of them eventually, or maybe right away, they went back to their hometowns and shared the gospel, shared what they had experienced. So there's believers in all these different cities. We also know the believers who scattered during the persecution of Saul. They started sharing the gospel everywhere they went. Well, now that that season has ended, relatively ended, now Peter is deciding, hey, I'm going to go back and visit all these saints in all these different cities. I want to encourage them, find out how they're doing and stuff. And so he's ministering. The season's changed, but he's still serving. He's still ministering. One of the places that he went to was the saints at Lydda. Verse 33, there he found a man named, a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is a very similar thing to what Jesus experienced in John chapter 5, verse 8. I think it's John and also in Mark's gospel where Jesus healed the paralytic. There's a, there's a lot of parallels to that. What's interesting is you think back to in Acts chapter 5, after Pentecost. Let me read this to you, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were being done among the people, were done among the people. And then later on, a few verses down, verse 15. So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. It doesn't mean that the shadow did heal them, but that's what they were believing. They're like, man, if, if it, you just walks by, man, we're going to get healed. What would that do to your self-esteem? <laughs> what would you think about yourself? Hey, man, here's my shadow, man. You know, go stand there. Those extraordinary miracles in the first days of the church was a season. It was a season. That season had changed somewhat. Now, the Lord is still healing. He still heals today. The Lord was still, uh, people were still being healed, but not on the same scale as we read right after Pentecost. But think about Peter. How easy would it have been for Peter to just be prideful? Man, just rest on his laurels. Look what, G what Peter said. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Not, I'm going to heal you, just stand in my shadow. Jesus heals you. Arise and make up your bed. And what's interesting, that's almost word for word what Jesus said to the paralytic in John 5. Jesus said to the paralytic, rise up, uh, rise, take up your bed and walk. Almost word for word is what Peter said. I want you to remember that. Verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they wa had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, this was a Jerus uh, Jerusalem. This was a Jewish custom to do when a person died. They would wash the body ceremoniously. They would anoint it with burial spices. And then a lot of people had upper rooms, and they would use that upper room in those situations. They would, they would put the body up there to wait. Verse 38, And since Lydda was near Joppa, 
And the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. Again, this is also very similar to a circumstance that Jesus encountered with the raising of the daughter of uh, Jairus, the synagogue ruler in Capernaum. It's, it's a very similar situation. The name Tabitha, in, in the Hebrew it means gazelle. And Dorcas is just basically it's the Greek translation of Tabitha. You know, the church had not been around for too many years at this point, so she was a relatively a new believer. She had the gift of helps. Now she's just ministering to people. She would have been a Barnabas too, an encourager, through her gifts of helping people, ministering to the needs of others, giving of her time and her talent. Man, she was a beloved saint. And when she died, man, people were just like, oh, heartbroken. So they sent for Peter. It says, And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She had a very practical ministry. But Peter put them all out, and knelt down and prayed. That word put them all out is actually, he kind of like forcefully made them leave. It wasn't like, would you please leave? No, it's like, you, you need to leave this room right now. In the case of the daughter of Jairus, very similar thing. In that culture, you would hire mourners to mourn. I don't know if these were hired and paid mourners or not, but that was a cultural thing. You hired people to mourn. And in the case when Jesus went to the ruler of the synagogue's house, there were mourners in that upper room around the body of this young lady, this young girl. And Jesus said, do not weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But it says, Jesus put the mockers outside. Same Greek word, leave. Put the mockers out. Sometimes we need to do that. Peter was there when Jesus did that. Peter was in that upper room when, when Jesus raised the ruler of the synagogue's daughter from the dead. He observed all that. And now the same thing is being played out in Peter's life. And in Peter's case, instead of mockers, he's surrounded by mourners. But just like Jesus did with the mockers, Peter did with the mourners. He put them out. He's just copying what Jesus did. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Again, this is very similar to what Jesus said. And Mark 5.41 is the other passage of the same story. It says, Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Almost very similar, though both of those circumstances are very similar. Going back to verse 40, And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. These miracles weren't to draw attention to the apostles. They were to draw attention to the Lord, and people were getting saved because of it. Well, Peter grew through the seasons. Through a time of persecution, Peter was ministering. A time of relative calm, Peter's still ministering. I mean, the ministry might have changed a little bit, but he's still serving. How did Paul grow, or excuse me, how did Peter grow through the seasons? Well, first of all, Peter was available. And I know many people have a heart and a desire for ministry. 
And I commend you if your heart and a desire for ministry or for serving in some way. But that's just part of the equation. The main question is, are you available now? Are you available for the Lord to use you wherever you're at, whatever situation? Peter was available. He went wherever the need was. Peter ministered regardless of the season, whether it was in persecution or peace. It didn't matter. He just served. And in his serving, Peter simply imitated what he saw Jesus do. I love that. He just, he just copied what Jesus did. There's this situation. I, 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 I know how Jesus handled it. I'm going to handle it the same way. How did he do that? That's through knowing God's will, through spending time with Jesus. Again, going back to that first step of growth, getting into the word of God. As you grow in the word of God, man, you're going to understand, you're going to know the heart of the Lord much better. You're going to say, I, I know what God would do in this situation. I know, I know what the Lord would do. And you would do the same, just imitate Jesus. And you know the thing about all these things for Peter, unknown to Peter at this point, he's exactly where God wanted him to be in Joppa. In the next chapter, an entirely new season of ministry is going to open up for Peter. And that, that event that we're going to study next week, or two weeks from now, it's second only in importance or in significance to the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you and I as believers. It's, it's second in importance. Yeah, that's just a, a cliffhanger there for you guys. <laughs> Listen, I just want to challenge you. Do you desire to grow today? Do you really want to grow? I mean, if you don't want to grow, then you could just tune me out. But if you really want to grow, spiritually grow, make God's word your main course. Man, fall in love with the word of God. And as you do that, you're going to fall in love with Jesus. Humble yourself. Again, you know, I've been humbled before, but that's not the same thing. It's when I, when I choose to view myself and view others as better than myself. That's humility. You can grow in that. And then seek what you can offer in fellowship. And I want to be a Barnabas. I want to be a Tabitha. Man, I want to minister in any way I can. And be patient. Allow the Lord to use your current station in life. You know, some people are in a transitory state right now in their life. They're, they're in a situation that's temporary. All our situations are temporary if you think about it. But, you know, they're in a situation. Maybe they, they think, man, the Lord's got a calling. I'm, I'm really sensing that this is what the Lord's got on my life. But here I am. How does it, mit, how does it fit? Man, just trust the Lord. But grow. Minister where you're at in whatever season, wherever you're planted, regardless of the, of the season. Just imitate Jesus Christ. Because if you do that, uh, if you start getting into the word of God, you're going to know what Christ would say. You're going to know what he would do. You're going to know the heart of the Lord through his word. And so going back to those two challenges, man, I, I challenge you. I, I just want to encourage you. And maybe you, might, you have a different method of reading through the Bible in a year, and that's fine. You don't have to be like, we're not a, we're not a, a, a cult or anything here. You can do whatever the Lord's laying on your heart. But I want to challenge you. Man, if you want to grow together, how awesome would that be for you and I on next, you know, January, middle of January or February, hey, man, what's the Lord been showing you? Well, you know, he's been showing me this stuff about, you know, I see in Genesis, and it'd be like, man, we've got, we can encourage one another because the Lord's been showing me this, you know, and, and uh, I just want to encourage you in that. And finally, become a Barnabas or Tabitha in 2023. 
You know, it's so easy to, to come to a church and go, you know, I just, you know, either come to a church or you leave a church because they're not meeting your needs or they are meeting your needs. And, and that's fine. We're here to meet needs. We, we pray that we bless people and people leave here. We, we don't want anyone to leave here with an unmet need. That's our prayer. It's sincere. It's our prayer. But for you, I just, if you want to grow, spiritually grow, man, grow through serving, grow through ministering. How can you encourage someone? How can you be involved in the body life of Calvary Chapel Rochester if this is your church home? I want to encourage you in that. Why don't you stand up? Let's go, Lord, in prayer.